I'm Rob Hopkins, and this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination. Earlier in this series of interviews, I spoke to Dr. Larry Rosen, who told me, I would say that our imagination is probably on the decline, exactly in the opposite trend of our time spent on our smartphone. If, as I've been recently musing, our imaginations need time and space, and much of that time and space is currently being sucked up by smartphones, social media and our online lives, then what happens when people stop, turn these devices off and deliberately make time to reflect? To explore the answers to this question, I headed out to the Barn Retreat on the Sharpham Estate close to where I live to talk to Tasha Bassingthwaite, who is the Barn's manager. I arrived just as participants in one of their week-long retreats were heading indoors for some fine-smelling soup. Tasha and I sat in the barn's library, and I started by asking her to explain what happens at the barn. So, people come (coughs) for uh, week-long retreats, and um, the retreats are based on Buddhist meditation, uh, community, and connection to the land. And so um, we have a pretty standard structure of retreat um, with three periods of meditation a day, um, a period of working in the garden together, and including harvesting food that we eat, and uh, living as a community for that week, a kind of pop-up family um, with, yeah, so there's 10 or 11 retreatants. And here. And, and, and when when people arrive here, what what would you say is is pe- a, a lot of people's experience who who turn up here mm-hmm. in terms of their relationship with digital mm-hmm. technologies and stuff? Yeah, I'd say um, we have the uh, the most number of people from one place is London. And um, most people are very tapped into digital technology, um, and we ask them uh, to to either leave their phones in their car, or we'll take their their phones and devices <coughs> in the office, and and keep them for the week. Um, there's no Wi-Fi, even if they did use it. There's very little uh, reception for any mobile phones either. So it's pretty safe that people aren't using their phones. Um, and that is part of the transformation and part of the profound experience they have here is just not using any digital technology for, for a week because most of them haven't um, had that previously. And how do they, how does, I mean, do you find people sort of going off trying to find a hillside somewhere where there <laughs> might be a signal? I mean, how, Very occasionally. How, how, yeah. is, how is that, how do you observe that process of mm. sort of, coming out of that trance or breaking that kind mm. of pattern? I think for most people, it's, it's only what they, what they tell us um, that we'd notice, really. So there's a few people who do, um, kind of in a confessional way, admit to the group that they've used their phones, that they mm, knew that there was some information coming, uh, their kids' GCSE scores or a job um, that they had applied for and they're waiting to hear back Yeah, if they got an interview, something like that. There's occasionally things like that, but generally, um, yeah, and, and there are also occasional times where people um, talk about how 
how they notice that they reach for their phone every time they feel slightly uncomfortable or bored or unsure what to do next, that they they automatically are putting their hand in their pocket to grab their phone and, and realize that it's not there. Um, but for the most part, the majority of people talk about how freeing it is and um, because it's not just the removal of the phone, they're also being supported in a meditation practice and, and mindfulness practice, um, as well as being in community of real living, breathing other people who are also sharing um, sharing in a more vulnerable way than we usually do in regular society. So, so that, that moment when, when we think, when that hand reaches for the pocket, mm-hmm kind of al- almost are kind of all automatic with it without even thinking about it in when you when you teach people an attention practice when you teach people a, a mindfulness meditation practice what what do you put in what what comes in instead of that what's what mm-hmm. what are we doing when we when we're doing that and how can we how can we do something else instead right so i think we're we're distracting ourselves from something that's that's uncomfortable it could be just so ever so slightly uncomfortable or it could be something that's um, bigger and and um, yeah and and quite potentially overwhelming emotions but I think most often it's just slight discomfort that we're I think we're used to um, whenever there's a break in in tasks that we're accomplishing that many of us are used to just reaching for our phones and um, filling in that space and so it's um, so we encourage people to connect with what they're um, trying to distract themselves from and that's very powerful when um, when you know that you can hold more emotionally than uh, you knew previously, or um, or you know the community can at least, if not you as an individual, but uh, su- yeah, but with the help of the support of community. And uh, when you when you invite people to explore what it is that they're avoiding mm-hmm. by doing that, like mm-hmm. if if the if a smartphone is like painkillers, mm-hmm. you know when you get people to sit with what is it that you're suppressing with that what. What kind of things do people do people talk about? Do people tell you about? Mm. Mm, I'd say <clears throat> that they. It could be such a variety of things from um, from boredom and uncertainty of what they're doing or what who who they are, kind of that um, uh, that. A slight texture of existential angst um, to uh, it could be something like um, a grief that they haven't processed um, that their father passed away three years ago and they and it's still every time there's any silence or any space then the grief comes up again and they're wanting to avoid that and they they recognize that and it's it's not that we are teaching them what to do with it so much as giving them the support to and 
encouragement of being aware that of what it is and um, the space to recognize and and acknowledge those mm. things that come up and, and that opens things up. And, and when people when people arrive here, I mean, how how would you? Um, I don't know how long you've been around, sort of people learning to meditate, I suppose. Mm. But uh, how how have you have you noticed? like the the sort of state of health of the attention spans of people who who come mm. who want to learn to has, has it has it got well, worse over time would you say yeah so i've been um around meditation for a couple of decades and the thing that i notice um most is the way that what people think of as meditation has shifted um, with the popularity of mindfulness and how they learn to meditate has shifted that it used to be I'd say 15 years ago it was definitely you'd either go to a, a group that meditates to learn or read a book quietly in your room and um, try that out and now it's um, more people are using apps to learn to meditate and um, think of meditation as guided meditation and we do some guided and some unguided here and it seems even in the even in the two and a half years i've been here um there's been a shift in the number of people who are surprised that there's silent meditation um, because they're used to using an app and having a guided meditation at all times and that um yeah and we're we're needing to make changes on our website, for example, to be really clear that there are there are unguided meditations, that there will be silent sittings, and we've also um, have, are finding ways of increasing support to people who have only sat with guided, with guidance, and haven't sat silently before. And can, can you really learn to meditate from an app? I think so. It wasn't my experience, but um, it is lots of people's experience. It's just a, um, yeah, it's just guided meditation. And um, the apps, I assume, so I need to confess, I don't have a smartphone, I never have, and I've <laughs> never used any of these apps. Um, but I've talked to lots of people <laughs> who have, and um, my, yeah, my understanding is that the apps give you a progression that's generally works for for people so that being you know starting with shorter periods of meditation and more guidance and slowly progressing to less guidance and longer periods of meditation so you might only start with five or ten minute meditation but within a couple of weeks you might be doing 25 minute meditation so yeah i'm not against the use of of um apps and other technology to to um, learn to meditate uh, and I think it, it leaves a lot uh, yeah yeah for, and Buddhism isn't just about mindfulness meditation no. and, and uh, there's more um, I think it can be more nourishing in an environment like this where there is community and where there is connection to the land and there's um, that that's very supportive as well so what's the difference in, in, in quality of, of so if if we if we have if we go from being like a a culture that 
not that most people did, but you know, mm-hmm. a, a culture where where meditation is is silent meditation, self-guided, you know, that that meditation, to being increasingly focused on guided meditation. What's mm-hmm. the difference in the quality in terms of awareness and attention mm-hmm. and stuff? Well, I think the attention is is um, less emphasized. Sustained attention is less emphasized when there's only guided meditation, when there's not more than five minutes of silence. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good stepping stone, and, uh, and I do see it. Mm, there's some meditators who have meditated for a decade or more who, who use guided meditations, but that's quite rare, mm-hmm. I'd say. It, it is more of a stepping stone, I think. It's um, kind of a beginner's... Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's a support for beginners. Not always, because yeah, I think that it depends what you're trying to cultivate mm. within your mm. mind. Mm. And um, but in this context, in talking about attention, I'd say that definitely, if you're wanting, if one of your intentions for your meditation is to increase your attention, then. Um, moving towards silent meditation and longer meditations will be more helpful mm. in cultivating that attention. Yeah. So, um, so when people when people kind of present, I suppose, you know, using a sort of medical term, mm-hmm. um, is your sense that people are more distracted than they were 20 years ago that people's mm. attention is more scattered maybe than it was 20 years ago or is is that yeah. a projection i i think so i mean i don't know from 20 years ago because i'm in a very different context than i was um at that time but in thinking about so this is not in thinking about teens, I used to work with teens um, about a decade ago, and I'm around teens now as I have a teenage um, daughter, I, I can see a difference in, in the last 10 years in attention span of younger mm. people that seem, yeah, that's quite obvious to me. Um, in terms of meditators, oh, I don't think I can, yeah. I don't think I could say so it. I mean, and, and it's so much is invisible in meditation yeah, yeah. that you can't see how many thoughts people are having and how distracted they are while they're sitting yeah. on the cushion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of teens, what are the what are the risks of that? You know, if we're producing a kind of a generation of teenagers, and I see it in my own as well. You know, who are who struggle to focus on anything for more than a few minutes with their minds off somewhere and mm-hmm. there's always something to, like the sort of the, the black hole of the phone to be sucked down. What what are the what are the risks of that? What are the, what what are they losing, do you think? Well they're losing all of life that takes more than a few seconds to notice, which is most of life, you know. Mm. Which is so the Yeah. So it's so much um, I think that we need sustained attention in order to um, have notice the context of our thinking, to um, notice the change of seasons and the beauty of nature. Uh, for yeah, in having um, um, 
on intimacy and relationships, and you know, so so much takes um, more than a few a few seconds of attention to mm. to deepen. So yeah, I guess it's a superficiality. Yeah. You skate over the surface rather than diving deeply. Yeah, and that being said, I think it's very easy to as as grown-ups to look at, at kids and, and um, say that it's uh, say that their lives are superficial uh, are more superficial than mm. ours were when we were teenagers or um, and actually often outside. often adults are worse if anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, and and it is um, so encouraged in so many ways to mm. to be distracted and to multitask. So in your own so in your own life, as somebody for whom attention is really important and a meditation practice is really important, and cultivating that kind of inner space where attention can emerge or whatever mm-hmm. is important. What's your relationship with? Technology. How how do you manage? You said you didn't have a smartphone. No. But I I've emailed you. I do uh, use and, computers. And, and, yes. and how, how so? How how do you find a how do you find a, a, a like a balance point with where yeah. you can interact with that technology without it falling well, dynamic. Your home? <laughs> yeah, it, it's the balance point is dynamic, but um, I do use. I definitely use internet and computers and email and all of that. Um, I have a, a brick phone that's for emergencies only, for, for anything that happens at the barn, that I can be reached right away. Um, and I use social media, but I'm aware of, yeah, try, I try to be aware of when I get caught. I do get caught at times, I'm not. Um, yeah, I am not in any way enlightened or always, always aware of my attention, but, um, yeah, trying, I guess I could summarize it saying I'm trying to have just enough technology in my life that I'm not completely out of touch with what the rest of society is dealing with, and, um, and not more than that, yeah. And if and if you if you were talking to somebody who themselves or maybe their their uh, one of their kids was seemed to be really struggling in terms of that relation, they they sort of been sort of sucked down that kind mm. of vortex and were sort of struggling to get out. Mm. What would your what would your advice be to them? What what mm. tools might they implement to start pulling back a bit from that? And I think it's noticing why we use technology, and um, and at times it's, it is distraction, as we've talked about. At times it's a need for connection. So noticing the need underlying underlying the reason for reaching for technology, and then trying to find more wholesome ways of meeting that need, um, rather than it coming from a place of um, discipline only. That there might be some discipline involved, but. I don't think that I'd ever give anyone advice of just chucking everything out <laughs> or um, living in a cave. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's unrealistic. Mm. And so, I, yeah. For example, social m- media and and people's addiction to to that 
it's it is often a real desire to connect and with with other people and that's that's a very wholesome human need and so finding ways to make sure that instead of going on um, whatever Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever um, every time that there's the moment a moment space in your life to to, f to make sure that you're seeing you're having seeing friends a few times each week and or every every day connecting with someone in a in a more real mm. um, and yeah, in a social way, to yeah, and then seeing if that helps. So so try to balance yeah balance things out with looking at the underlying need and trying to meet that in a more wholesome way. And one of the one of the big things about about here is you know you said people spend time in the garden. They yes. as I've arrived, people are out chopping stuff back mm -hmm. in you know. The, the, it's been a long tradition in Buddhism, back to the Buddha himself, and under the tree of, of uh, that a meditation practice is something that has that connection to nature yeah. and to the outs and to yeah. the outdoors. What's wh wh why does that matter? What's you know as we we become increasingly sedentary and increasingly based indoors, mm -hmm. in terms of awareness and attention and mindfulness, mm -hmm. what do we lose by not spending enough time outdoors? Mm -hmm. I'd say part of what we lose is a sense of belonging, which um, I think with a lack of a sense of belonging, we feel more anxious. We go for the more junk foody things like um, like technology, like, like um, social media or mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and connection with ourselves and our bodies, I think that's very important. And some that with yeah with um, increased amount of technology in our lives increased digital world in our lives um, we lose connection with with our bodies and with ourselves mm. in that way as well so being physical being outside um, is is very helpful in in noticing that you've got a body you're not just a floating head um, yeah, and again, doing that with others um, really uh, nourishes a sense of community and a sense of belonging, a sense of place, and um, a reverence for for this earth and um, for yeah, wherever you are on it, even if it's not in um, a beautiful wild or rural area. Mm -hmm. Wherever that is, there's there's beauty within that. Yeah. So, could you have a retreat center with Wi-Fi? Would it work? Could you? What like? What, yeah, I'm sure. There's lots. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how you classify retreat center, um, and it depends what you're retreating from. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, would I want to go to a retreat center? I, I mean, I think there's retreat centers that are just like relaxing spa kind of mm. places, mm. and that's. Um, I've never. I've never gone to any of those um, that might be appropriate to have <laughs> to watch Netflix at the end of the day. I have no idea. <laughs> just, again, it depends on what you're wanting to cultivate. Um, I think for the people who come to the barn, they're generally wanting to cultivate connection to themselves, self-compassion, um, loving kindness, uh, and, and sustained attention, and mm. having... 
yeah, being more present to their lives and not. And we often hear people say that they've been living in kind of a a dream state of of lack of awareness for the last year or decade or or many decades, and that they're wanting to connect enough with themselves that their lives don't just pass them by. And how does that impact people when they have their first taste of, you know, when they emerge after a week here yeah. of a week of sustained attention? Yeah. I mean, how, 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 if they've spent years in this dream, like you talk about, mm. what's, what, what, what do people feedback at the end about, about mm. how that changes their perspective? Yeah. It's very transformational for people, mm. of course. Um, yeah. And it is the, the other pieces. Um, the community and the, and the connection to the land that also have an impact to that. Um, yeah, the conversations that I have with people at the end of the retreats are often about um, how they are seeing their lives in a more clear way and they have different decisions that they're now going to implement in, in how they're living their lives. Um, that they want to have deeper friendships, that they want to continue um, having some form of meditation in their daily lives, and um, yeah, they're more they're more present and loving, and they're kind of on the on the weeks where I'm just here on the first day and the last day, I can definitely see this very obvious kind of glow that people have. Mm -hmm. um, Self-acceptance is a big part of it, and, and attention is another big part of it, I'd say. There's a question I've asked everybody that I've interviewed for mm -hmm. this book, which I'll, which I'll adapt slightly in this context. Okay. So I've asked every, everybody, if you, were the, if you had been elected as the president or the prime minister of the place where you live, and you had run on a platform of make here, like make Britain imaginative again. So you decided actually, mm -hmm. you know, the, we, we're seeing this erosion of, 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 of imagination at a time when we most need it. So if you were to prioritise the imagination in policy, in education, in public life, in architecture, in, you know, across mm -hmm. the board, you said we need to ramp this capacity up in our collective psyche, what would you do? Mm -hmm. But I wonder if it was if it was to you know make Britain attentive again, or mm. if, if 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 you were, if you were elected to power on a platform of restoring the nation's attention span, mm -hmm. what might you do? Where would you start? Do you mm. think? Yeah, an interesting question. Um, well, of course, yeah, I I have found personally and have seen that meditation is really um, really aids in that. And this isn't a long ad for meditation. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I think there needs, for imagination <laughs> and attention, there needs to be some space. And that's what meditation is one way that provides that. Um, I'd say um, solitude in nature is another way that that can be provided. Um, I think that in terms of 
government policy, I, I wouldn't mandate everyone to meditate or have solitude in nature if I was the, um, the Prime Minister of, of Britain or whatever. Um, but I think the standardization of um, education is uh, definitely limits that spaciousness and, um, and creativity and mm. imagination. And so I, I think encouraging creativity is yeah, important for, for adults as well as for children. Um, and creating, yeah, so having community spaces for that, um, yeah, having community spaces for adults to do creative ventures would be wonderful, I think. Yeah, having um, more meditative spaces accessible um, would be important um, to yeah, I don't know how we'd have less decrease the amount of stimulation, but um, it just it does feel like we keep on trying to increase the amount of stimulation and mm. the um, amount that companies are vying for our attention, and that can only lead to less less of the spaciousness that I think is is essential for imagination. Mm. Yeah, so lots of things are more social change that needs to happen rather than government policies. Um, like having, mm, like parents not feeling like they need to put their kids in classes af you know, every day of the week. Um, in fact, maybe it's, you know, um, acknowledging that boredom is important in for kids to feel bored mm -hmm. sometimes is important for them to not fear that space because that's the other thing that I see here we have one day that's that's in silence each week and for some people who are who haven't experienced that before and who have had very full uh, schedules their entire lives it's something that they're really scared of because it's just there's very little on that day it's just three periods of meditation together um, the three meals in the day, and no, nothing else is on. There's nothing else scheduled, and so there's some people who are really fearful of having that space. Mm -hmm. So, um, by finding ways to create that space in our lives, with yeah, in our young people's lives, and and um, have that a socially supported thing for adults to have as well, I think mm -hmm. would be important. Yeah, even if you don't meditate, <laughs> but to have that spaciousness is in yeah. some way, in some, in some way that calls to each person, they have that in their lives. Yeah. So that's all my questions. If, if you had any last thoughts on attention and imagination, that I haven't asked you the question that you're thinking. I hope you asked me that question <laughs> so I can tell him all about that thought I had. Then now is the moment. <laughs> mm, I don't think so. Yeah, maybe there's a, I guess there's a connection that with what I was just talking about with that having some kind of spaciousness and the aversion towards that. I think um, on top of that aversion, there's also a, a 
often an inner critic that comes and says, oh, you can't even be by yourself for whatever length of time. Um, and so it's, that that's, yeah, that that's important, that um, that some level of self-compassion or um, self-acceptance is important in order to get over a bit of a hump of not having any spaciousness, acknowledging that we haven't had that in our lives, that most of us have had very scheduled lives. Um, and so of course it's not, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Mm. And, and that's okay. And that's normal and nothing to beat yourself up about.